Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, Major Junior. Hey, Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters. Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. I'm Braden Holpe for the Saskatoon Blades. This is Gabriel Landeskog. I'm playing for the Kitchen Rangers. Hi, this is Sean Couturier from the Drummondville Voltager. Carter Hart of the Everett Silvertips. This is Taylor Hall of the Windsor Spitfire. Nathan McKinnon from the Halifax Mooseheads. NCAA. Hey, this is Jack Eichel. I play at Boston University. It's Alex Turcotte. Hey, it's Kale McCarver. Hey, this is Jack Drury. Hey, it's Kyle Connor. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Denver University Pioneers. It's Morgan Barron from Cornell University. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hello, this is uh, Jerry York, the coach at Boston College. The World Juniors. My name is Andres Fischko from uh, Team Russia. Hey, it's Joel Ferby from Team USA. It's Norris Sider from Germany. I'm Philip Broberg of the Team Sweden. It's Ellie Paul Lennon. Hey, it's Nikolai Ehlers. It's Matt Sogard. Hi, it's Timo Meyer. Hi, this is Jordan Edwards of Team Canada. The NHL Draft. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Hi, it's Gordon Bicep from the Sudbury Wolves. Connor Derry from the Camelot Blazers. I'm Alexander Holtz. I'm Lucas Freeman. Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. Dylan Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Brady Schneider, Caden Dooley. Here's Marco Rossi. I'm from the other sound. And more. Excellent! This is the Pipeline Show. Well, good weekend and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That's me. And a quick thank you again to all of you who are returning listeners for coming back for more. I appreciate that. And uh, those who have signed up to be a patron at patreon.com slash the Pipeline Show. Big shout out to you guys and gals because uh, your contributions help keep the lights on here at the Pipeline Show. Hey, if you're a newcomer to the program, perhaps this is your first episode then uh, welcome aboard, and I hope you'll be back for more. Let me know uh, where you you heard about the show and how long you've been listening. If you're if you're one of those who are a returning listener, and for those of you who uh, do get the uh, the show every week, maybe you subscribe on iTunes or or uh, Spotify, something like that. If there is a way for you to leave uh, comments or ratings or both, uh, please do because that helps attract other listeners as well and uh, and newcomers. Uh, I think it's all to do with algorithms and and stuff like that. So. Uh, just take a second, hit pause right now on the show, and uh, go to wherever you get the the episodes from, and uh, leave a quick review or uh, a comment and uh, a rating. If you think it's uh, worth three stars, uh, then give me three stars. If you think it's worth five, give me five. I would appreciate you taking a second to do that. There you go. If you did hit pause and you're now you're back, well, thanks for doing that. Let's get to the show, and I did put up a uh, a question of the week. As I'm speaking with you right now, it's late Saturday afternoon. I'm trying to get this show out uh, today. At this point, it might come out tomorrow, but uh, my my goal here is to get it out right away. I'm late as it is, uh, but I threw up the question of the week on Twitter, at TPS underscore Guy is where you can find it. And the question reads like this. It's it's to do with uh, Devin Levi from uh, Northeastern and uh, from Hockey Canada. Of course, he was a standout at the World Junior Championship for Canada. Hasn't played yet for Northeastern, and uh, there's some question on why that was. I actually thought maybe it was a quarantine situation, but other Canadians and other European players who were in the uh, the World Junior have been playing, so didn't think uh, there was much to that. Well, it's been revealed now, and he did it himself in speaking with uh, Gino Retta from TSN, where he revealed he played the almost the entire World Junior Championship with a fractured rib. And uh, now he is out, sitting out, obviously, with uh, hasn't been able to, to get into a game for Northeastern because of this. 
And so the question of the week is, what is your reaction to this? And because I've seen a, a varied response on Twitter and social media about this. I've, you know, some of the words that I used in my Twitter question were, you know, a lot of people saying, ah, good Canadian boy, tough playing through injury. Other people are, you know, proud of him for, for putting country ahead of, you know, personals. He's sacrificing his, his body for uh, the good of the team. Other people have taken the other direction and said, it's, you know, that's irresponsible. You're not thinking about your club team at Northeastern. They, they need you. Other people have said it's really reckless. Some people are blaming Hockey Canada. Why would you let a guy play through injury like that? You do have two other goalies on the roster. So I wanted to to uh, ask the audience for some feedback and uh, tell me what you think. And I have got a bunch of replies already. Uh, let's go through some of them. I'll tell you my thoughts here in a second. Uh, Dave Starman, uh, who's uh, a frequent guest here on the Pipeline Show and was uh, doing uh, some analysis on the uh, USA Hockey broadcast, he uh, jokingly says, I couldn't play that well healthy. And that's a great point. Because if Levi hadn't told anybody, would anybody know? Because you look at the way he played. Heck, he was an all-star in the tournament. He was unbelievable. He was fantastic. I've never had a broken rib. But my understanding is they're pretty painful. And I'm sure there are severities, different you know, different grades of, uh, of, of breaks or fractures. And maybe that's a difference right there. Fractured instead of a break. I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor and I'm not going to play one on the radio. But there's got to be a, a level of discomfort that uh, that goes with that. And this is a position where you're moving side to side all the time and up and down and taking shots into the uh, into the upper body. I would have to think there's some discomfort involved with that. Couldn't tell by watching him. He, uh, he was unbelievable uh, for most of the tournament. Brian, who obviously a Maine Black Bears fan, says it would be a pleasure to respectfully boo him if he was visiting the Alphonse in Orono. That said, probably one of the gutsiest displays on par with Bergeron uh, when he had the punctured lung in the playoffs. I'd be happy to see him wearing the red and white maple leaf down the road. That uh, from Brian. Good question here from uh, T-Bird Tidbits, who says, I think it's valid to ask what is the bottom of the age range where players should be applauded for playing through pain and injuries. It clearly happens at the World Junior Championship. Should it at the World U18s or at the U16 level? Also, is it only okay when playing for country or province and not for a club? What about playoffs versus regular season? When is it acceptable? And to be clear, I'm not saying it should happen, but for those who support players gritting it out or, quote, being a team player, at what age do you stop and say, maybe they should just sit out and let it heal? Very fair questions. And that's why I posed this question of the week, because I wanted to get uh, some feedback. And maybe maybe a doctor would chime in. Well, here is one, Dr. Adam Naylor. I'm not sure what, uh, what specialty Dr. Naylor is in, but says, uh, I'd hope the words would be for Levi, uh, choiceful, and he said he goes on to say that meaning uh, feeling autonomous in decision with sound medical advice having been given. And for Hockey Canada, the word describing them should be thankful, thankful that Levi uh, got it out and played. Hockey Child 99 says if I'm Northeastern, I'd be pissed. Rob says he's a warrior, and Charles chimes in with, uh, in my opinion, the World Junior was downplayed too much this year. Too many naysayers, COVID or not. It's a very important tournament on a huge stage, and good for him for giving his all. He represented Canada extremely well. He certainly did. Uh, now, here's my thoughts on it. And first one I'm going to go towards is uh, thinking about player safety. And I'm going to assume, because I haven't talked to anybody from Hockey Canada about it, I, I do know one of the guys who was on the bench in, in trainer, uh, Brian Cheeseman, athletic therapist. 
but I haven't talked to him about it. I would have to think that it was a known situation that Levi wouldn't hide that from anybody. I would further assume that he was checked out medically and probably presented with the the scenario or the situation or the status, how serious it was. Would it get worse if he continued to play? Would it just be a pain thing that he had to manage? And if that's the case and you leave it up to the player, nine times out of 10, I think, or maybe 99 times out of 100, the player is going to play. So I would I would like to believe that if there was a, a, a risk of further injury, that Hockey Canada would, would sit him. You look at Kirby Doc. Imagine if Kirby Doc said, you know, I can play with a, a cast or something like that, but he, he was ruled unavailable. And yeah, I'm sure the Chicago Blackhawks played a role in that too. But I don't know what Florida's situation here was. They drafted him in the seventh round, drafted Devin Levi. I don't know if they were consulted or anything like that, or actually what their response would be to this news. I, I haven't seen that yet. But I would have to think Canada Hockey Canada would have done that. They wouldn't have put him in a situation where it would be worse, or could get worse, and you present that to the player. The player, in this case, Devin Levi, he's this is his last year of uh, eligibility to play in the tournament. He is a 2001-born player, so too old to play in the 2022 tournament. So this is his one kick at the can. Totally get why he would want to play. And if he, if if that was the case, where it's okay, you're you're hurt, you could continue playing, give it another try, and see how it goes. And you know he plays the next game, and obviously didn't hamper his performance or hinder his performance. So that's Hockey Canada, and that's Devin Levi. If I'm Northeastern, am I disappointed? Well, yeah. Yeah, probably. I mean, they do have other goaltenders on their roster, and they're off to a good start, though, 6-3-2 and two this year. Netminder Connor Murphy has played in every game, all 11 games that they've played. He only played in two games last year, so I wasn't sure who the starter would be. I kind of sent that to that question to, well, who did I ask, actually? Did I ask Julie Robenheimer when she was on right after the World Junior? Uh, I'm not sure if, I don't remember if I did. I know I'd sent the question to a couple of, well, people that I do get on the show, but it may have just been a like a, a Twitter DM. But that was my question. When the tournament's over, will Devin Levi be the starter at Northeastern? Because they do have options. I think they have four goaltenders uh, on their roster, including a senior in uh, Curtis Fry, but he's only played one game his entire time at the program, so didn't think it would be him. Nick Scarpa hasn't played a game. He's a junior. Uh, so really, there was very little experience. I mentioned Connor Murphy only played two games in his uh, freshman season. He's a sophomore this year. So to me, it looked like he would probably be the starter. Uh, but as of now, Murphy's been the guy. Keep in mind, Northeastern started a little bit late. They started December 12th. Uh, but Murphy has played every game, six of them in December and a couple in early January before the World Junior experience was even done for Levi. So really, Levi's missed so far three games. Northeastern has happened to have won all three of those games. So if you're Northeastern, are you mad at Levi for playing or at Hockey Canada for allowing him to play? I guess it depends on how long he's going to be out. Their schedule ends on March 6th. I don't know what the timeline is for a fractured rib. I guess I'm sure it, it varies depending on the severity. I wouldn't be surprised if everybody at the program looks at it and says exactly what I've been saying here. Devin Levi, it's his only year of eligibility. They probably understand. I'd be surprised if there were hard feelings, to be honest with you. That's where I stand on it. 
I don't think Hockey Canada would put him into a situation where it would be detrimental to his uh, future for this season or long term. I completely understand why Devin Levi would want to play, and I don't think that Northeastern would be overly upset. You know, unfortunate. I'm sure they're disappointed that he's not available to them right now, but they're doing pretty good without him. So all things considered, I think everything's going to be okay. That's my take. You can agree or disagree with me and let me know on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy. A couple other news items I wanted to touch on. The uh, NHL draft. I mentioned last week that I thought it was going to be around the same time as normal, but it's actually a month later. That was my screw-up. Uh, July 23rd to 24th is where it's set right now. And uh, NHL Central Scouting came out with their updated uh, player-to-watch list for late January. This just coming out uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. I believe it's 36 players that they project to be potential first-round picks. A lot can change between now and, I guess, July, especially because the WHL, the OHL haven't played at all. The USHL has been playing a little bit for the most part. NCAA for the most part, and there are some college guys to watch this year. And the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League just getting back to business after uh, missing the last, what, month and a half. And, of course, uh, most of the junior leagues in Europe, I believe, are shut down right now. So if that's uh, if that's incorrect, let me know. Uh, but notably in the, uh, the top 36, if you will, for NHL Central Scouting, two goaltenders. And I know everybody is really high on Jesper Wallstead for a good reason. He's a terrific goaltender. But I've been pumping the tires of uh, Sebastian Kosa here with the Edmonton Oil Kings. Yes, maybe I'm biased in that. Uh, but also, given first-round potential status here by Central Scouting, I'm on record saying uh, I won't be surprised if Kosa is the first goalie taken. And I know at least HockeyProspect.com has Kosa ahead of Wallstad in their rankings. Now, they separate the goalies from the rest of the group. But when we had Mark Edwards on the show... He admitted that they had them very close, but Kosa ahead of Wallstead. Hey, this comment just coming in from uh, Corey about the whole Devin Levi situation. The words he would use to describe him, a resilient badass. Better person, too. Sick. And I actually, I wanted to mention I had sent uh, Devin a note uh, before the tournament started, just wishing him uh, good luck and uh, to say thank you for coming on the show last year because I, I, everybody I talk to, I, I tell them, he was probably the best player interview that I had on the show in season 15. Uh, I'm a big fan. So keep thoughts coming in on that. Uh, I'll tell you about ProStockHockey.com. It's your online source for authentic pro stock hockey equipment, including sticks and gloves and everything else. ProStockHockey.com is their website, and at ProStockHockey is their Twitter handle. They just tweeted out yesterday that new player gloves and helmets from the Washington Capitals have been added to their inventory. New gear from Bauer and CCM and Warrior and more now available as well. The day before that, they said, make the most out of your Thursday and grab a new pair of STX gloves. Several reverse retro and throwback color schemes are currently available. So again, check them out at ProStockHockey.com. Let's get to the guest list. I have three guests for you this week. Again, same as last week, I had intended on having a fourth one, a, a player who is draft eligible this year. That fell through again this week. Same uh, same team. Uh, so I extended just open invitation uh, to that club uh, that I'll get said player uh, on the show whenever they're available. But it uh, won't be this week. So I got three guests for you. And, of course, all of my guests, all three of them, 
will join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Based out of Red Deer and uh, available pretty much exclusively here in Alberta right now. And as you know, if you've been a a listener to this show, I've been uh, pumping it for the last uh, several months. Free home delivery if you order online and use promo code PIPELINE. Right now, they're also uh, tossing in a free can of a cocktail with every online purchase, whether it's the Epitaph Gin, the Gin and Soda, or the Adequate Vodka Soda. You can get the Lemon Lime flavor. You're going to get a free can of those just to try it, simply for ordering online. It's craft beverages worth sharing. I used to say craft beer, but there's so much more than just beer now with the soda and the spirits available. So you'll have to check out their website. Go to troubledmonk.com shop, and that's where you can see all of the, the different varieties of beverages available. I see another brand new one that I haven't tried, and it's already out of stock, the Neapolitan Complex. Didn't get a chance to try that one. Uh, I'll, I'll wait with anticipation for it to be back available. Uh, have not tried the Sea Serpent yet, the Northwest IPA, but looking forward to that. Some of my favorites, though, the Juicy Gossip is outstanding. Daycation Lager, and of course the uh, the four classics uh, that come in the uh, the Taster Pack. Those would be the Open Road American Brown Ale and the Bucktooth Belgian White and the Golden Gates Golden Ale and the Pesky Pig Pale Ale. So much to choose from, whatever your taste buds enjoy when it comes to craft beverages uh you'll find it at troubledmonk.com and make sure you use promo code pipeline if you live between calgary and st albert and all points in between whether it's right in red deer or around red deer like sylvan lake or lacombe or olds anywhere between calgary and st albert and we'll throw in sherwood park in the mix that includes edmonton as well and all the little towns like leduc and pinoca free delivery Get your order in uh, by 8 a.m. and you'll get it the same day. Just make sure you're using promo code PIPELINE. All right, let's get to the guest list. I mentioned uh, three people who are going to join me today. We're going to start with a conversation I had about midweek with uh, Mike Johnston. He is the uh, VP, head coach, and general manager of the Portland Winterhawks. They're in the news, obviously, for a few reasons. New ownership, and we uh, spend a little time talking about that and what that means to the franchise. Just imagine the uncertainty that everybody employed there has been living under through this entire pandemic as that news came out pretty much uh, the time the shortly after the season was canceled last year. So I talked to Mike about that. And also they've released four players to go play in the USHL this year. They're not the only team that's done it. I I think Portland is the team that has the most players going to the USHL. And there's some uncertainty with that in terms of, okay, let's say the WHL starts up here on March 10th. Uh, are, are those players, do they come back? Remember, there's there are those players who are drafted and signed by NHL teams who, you know, they might be 18 or 19 years old. Normally, they can't play in the American League. They can this year, but only until the OHL and the WHL start up again. Then they have to go back to their club teams. Is that the same with the uh, the players who are off to the USHL? Well, I asked for clarification, and I got it from Mike Johnston. So we'll, uh, we'll hear that conversation, and he'll be the first guest segment. From there, we'll go to Mike Sanderson, who is the play-by-play voice of the St. John Sea Dogs in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and and, uh, that league back to business here this weekend, but not for every team. Uh, We'll get the latest from Mike about that scenario. And uh, we'll end this week's show with uh, Jerry Johansson, who uh, heads up the Sports Corporation, uh, one of the top agencies when it comes to, to representing hockey players. You've heard him on the show in the past. Well, I wanted to get an update on him and what the life through the pandemic has been like for him in his role, but also for his players and 
Has this impacted development? He's got another great crop of 2021 eligible players. We talk a little bit about that. So uh, lots of ground that we cover with Jerry. Uh, I think you'll uh, find that conversation enlightening. But let's kick off the show with Mike Johnston. He's the GM, VP, and head coach of the Portland Winterhawks. He's up first here on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hey, this is Joe Morrow from the Portland Winterhawks. Paul Binner. This is Seth Jones. This is Nick Matan. It's Brad Ross, Brandon Leipzig. Hey, I'm Ben Barkey. This is Troy Kowski, former captain of the Portland Winterhawks, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Passion. Talent. Development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. NHLers Kyle Turris wow, and Duncan Keith Goal! and future NHLers Tyson Jost and Dante Favreau all took the campus route. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. That's right. Now, say my name. With Guy Flaming. You're goddamn right. It's the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and it's uh, time for an In the Dub segment. Of course, all of those brought to you by our friends at dubnetwork.ca. You can stay up to date on everything happening around the Western Hockey League. And uh, subscribe and get your daily dose of the dub right to your inbox. You don't even have to look for it. And I guess on one hand, there's not a a whole lot going on in the WHL as... We know we've been shut down for, boy, it's upwards coming up to almost a year now uh, since the last time we saw games on the ice. But there has been some news here as of late, especially around uh, the team that uh, my next guest is coming from, Mike Johnston, who is the uh, VP and GM and head coach of the Portland Winterhawks. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show. Coach, how are you? Well, not too bad, Guy. As you mentioned, I think everybody is is still anxious and have gone through a lot over the last year, but looking forward to hopefully getting uh, the WHL back in action soon. Maybe we'll start with that. What are things like in Oregon right now compared to, say, in the fall or around Christmas time? Do you, do you get a sense that things might be getting a little bit better, or are we still up to our necks in this? Well, from a, a business perspective, whether it's restaurants, arenas, gyms, uh, we went through a cycle, probably like a lot of the provinces in Canada, where in the summer we were basically locked down. But in the fall, everything started to open up. Our our arena opened up here in town. Uh, The gyms opened up. So it looked quite positive. And then around Thanksgiving, things turned uh, turned the corner. And we're in more of a lockdown phase right now with the anticipation that in the next couple of weeks, we might see some movement uh, to open. The the numbers are moving in the right direction, so we might see some movement to open things back up. Well, that would be good news. Boy, this has got to be, from a just from a hockey team perspective, I know from a, a my end of things and as a guy covering the league, it seems like forever since we've uh, been able to watch a game on TV. We had a little respite with the, the World Junior Championship, but outside of that, th- this has been a long haul. What's, so what's the mental state for well, for yourself and for guys around the team. Well, first for our players, I think it's been, as you know, it's been very challenging for each of the players because they were in a situation like I described before where they were locked down and then everything in the provinces and the states started to open up a little bit. So they started to train, uh, get individual training. There were some programs going on in each of the provinces and the states for, for kids to get uh, on the ice with pros, other WHL players. And then that went away in the last 
five to six weeks. So I feel for the kids. It's been a long time at home. Uh, they're anxious to get into a real team practice. They're anxious to get back into game action. And for all players, whether it's young kids in minor hockey or it's WHL players, it's it's challenging, and it's going to take a while to recover from this. Well, and I, I feel for everybody involved, and, and certainly for those guys who might be entering their final year of eligibility, who might not even get to play, uh, and are desperately trying, a lot of guys trying to earn pro contracts or set themselves up for uh, U-sports uh, scholarships and things like that. It's a lot on the line for those would-be overage players this year. What do you tell guys like that? Well, what we try to do with our players uh, through the summer, the first thing was is to whatever they had available to them to from a fitness perspective, our uh, trainer, strength and conditioning coach, Rich Campbell, kept in touch with them and made sure that they were working out and staying focused. And then through the fall, we had a, we decided to connect with our players, much like everybody is doing nowadays on Zoom calls. Mm-hmm. And we decided that we would, um, thinking that we were going to start playing sooner, we were going to have some strategy sessions, some just motivational type sessions. And, and to do that, we decided to invite NHL people to uh, come on those calls with us. So for 11 weeks, one every Wednesday, we had NHL general managers, coaches, players come on a call with our with our players, and for 40 minutes they would talk about a topic of their choice, answer some questions, and then we would do some team things. So basically, we've tried to keep them engaged from a fitness perspective, tried to keep them engaged from a professional development point of view, but it's been challenging. And now as we hit the new year. Uh, everybody is just anxiously awaiting news of when they can return to their cities and what type of schedule we, we might have. That's really interesting. Is that is that specific to your team, or do you know if other clubs in the WHL have, have taken a similar attack? I'm not sure what other teams have done. It was We decided to do it just on a whim that I thought, if I'm going to keep these guys engaged on a Zoom call for an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, we're going to have to be creative here. So we had, you know, uh, we had um, Paul Maurice, Rick Talk, at, uh, uh, we had Barry Trotz, we had Scotty Bowman, we had um, Kyle Dubas. We had different people on, and so each week the guys would look forward to the call, and it gave those people were available, number one, and willing to do it, which I was very impressed with their response to to jump on a call just with our guys. And then some of the topics they brought up, Mike Babcock uh, talked for quite a while, was really engaging, and then diverted to the mental health side of things and did a very very good presentation at the end of his. And So it really varied. And obviously, Scotty Bowman, just before Christmas, having him on a call, the players don't, re- don't remember the days <laughs> when Scotty Bowman was coaching if they look back on some of the old clips. But Scotty, as you know, has a great great recall of everything that's happened in the game and some of the players and the people that he touched uh, was so captivating and engaging for our, our players. It was just amazing. And I found our staff, our coaching staff, myself, Don, Kyle, uh, Mike Coughlin as, as our head scout really benefited from these as well because the, they could present on anything. And, we, and it, was, it was a professional development opportunity for all of our people. What a fantastic idea! That's I think that's uh, that's terrific to hear. 
the uh, biggest news, I suppose, recently here for the Winterhawks is new ownership. Uh, how does that change things, or is it just having that sense of stability now? Uh, it just maybe a bit of a relief uh, involved with that too. Well, when I look back on how it all happened, I remember we were getting ready to go to Spokane on a Thursday to play Friday night, and we were told to stay back, and that's when COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Three weeks later, we found out it was just out of the blue that our team was going to go into receivership, and and that those two in combination over a three-week time period, it was devastating for our organization. Uh, first, we were sending our players home and dealing with that side of things, and then we were having to deal with our staff. And so we immediately furloughed everybody in the organization to try and retain some of our cash flow, and then we ended up spending uh, until January 1st all that time in receivership. So it was, it was very challenging uh, from a perspective of staff and employees, mm-hmm. but a lot of businesses were going through that anyway, as you're aware, it doesn't matter if you're a restaurant or a sports team, everybody was going through those challenges at the same time because of COVID. But we were really excited through the November and into December uh, with this potential ownership group that turned out to be the, the new owners of the Portland Winterhawks, led by Kerry Preed and Michael Kramer. Uh, I really like the group. Uh, they're, they're a well-schooled group from a business perspective. Uh, they understand hockey. They're connected at different levels. Um, so I think it's going to be a, a very positive for Portland as we move forward um, into the new normal. Uh, we'll have a different energy and a different perspective on on how things are, are going to be um, be run and some new ideas. So I, I, in the end, it's, it's going to be great for our, our team. Bill Gallagher was a phenomenal owner, uh, and but now I, I believe we we have a new group that's that's going to keep us at the same level from a business and hockey perspective. Well, and I know you mentioned moving forward, and I guess that's the big question now is what is the next thing for not just for your club but for the league? Uh, do you get a sense on where things are at right now and, and how long it could be until we get this? I know there's a twenty a plan for a 24-game regular season, but kind of left open-ended, uh, which might be the smart way to approach it instead of uh, setting a date and having to move it again. But uh, what's your sense on when we might see games again? Well, as you just mentioned, it's hard to set a date nowadays because everything is changing, and and really the date will be determined by healthcare professionals in in the states and also in the four provinces whether they feel it's safe enough to return to practice and to return to play. And every month it seems with new data that it changes from place to place. One month Alberta is looking good, and the next month it's Manitoba, Um, in Washington State, and Oregon. Uh, we've appealed to the governor's office in both of those states. Uh, numbers are moving in a positive direction. Arenas and gymnasiums opened in, in Washington State last week, which was really positive. They haven't in Oregon yet, but we anticipate that they will. So I know the league offices, uh, you can imagine what they've gone through in the last eight months, uh, working on different scenarios of, of how we could return to play safely for the players, the staff, uh, and everybody involved. And they're continuing to do that. And they're, they're motivated. Uh, the ownership groups of, of each of the teams are very motivated to have some sort of season, knowing that we don't have fans, knowing that we'll have limited sponsorship, and it's going to cost the owner some money 
to run a season this year, but everybody feels that in, that in the best interest of the players and the best interest of being a, the top development league in the world, we have to do something. And so I'm positive. I really believe that, that we are going to have something, but it might be a February, March, April, uh, March, April, May type mm-hmm. scenario. But uh, I'll take that as a coach. I'll take it because we want to get our hands on our players and, and, and work with them and develop them because like you alluded to a few minutes ago, I feel for the 20 year olds. They need an opportunity to showcase themselves. I also feel for the 16, 17 year olds who are trying to get on the NHL radar. All of our players have an agenda and we need to provide them with something this year so that they can help fulfill whatever opportunities might lie ahead for them. I'm glad you mentioned the players because that's where I wanted to go to next. You released four players to go play in the USHL, all of them with the Lincoln Stars. Uh, first off, is there some sort of connection between your club and that club or just a coincidence that all four had ties to the Stars? It was a coincidence, but it was a very tough decision as other teams in our league were faced with. Uh, there was a January 10th deadline in the U.S., for players to go to U.S. teams, and that deadline wasn't going to be moved. So we had to make a tough decision in early January um, to to do that. Prior to that, in the fall, we did allow some players to play in Manitoba Junior, Saskatchewan Junior, Alberta. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of our, our players in the, in the Western League and Portland players played with different teams. At that time, two of our American players, Jack O'Brien and James Stephan, went to Lincoln. But they didn't play because the USHO needed a full release to allow them to play. So that started the connection with Lincoln. And then in early January, when we didn't really have a date for the Western League yet, they became nervous and, and they talked to two other American players of ours, Cross, Hannes, and Clay, Hannes, to would they come with them to Lincoln? Right. And so that's how that, that scenario unfolded. And I felt it was, if they were, we were going to have to move in that direction. I felt it was for the right reasons. All those players will be back with us next year. They're, they're going to get 35, 40 games in for the rest of this season. And then we'll benefit, they'll benefit, and we'll be able to, once we get started, use some younger players that we can spend some time developing. Well, it's, and that's in, the interesting point that I wanted to touch on because I know I wanted some clarification because I'd heard while well, those players would be able to come back, uh, once the WHL starts up again, I've also been told they aren't eligible to come back until, say, the Lincoln Stars are done for the year. So if if they were done, you know, if they didn't make the, their playoffs or uh, they were eliminated early, they might be able to come back to you in April or something like that. Or it wouldn't be until the next full WHL season. Can you clarify what that situation is like? Because your club isn't the only one. Cole Sillinger from Medicine Hat and, and uh, Matthew Savoy from Winnipeg, they're all playing in the USHL now too. Are all those guys all lost now if the WHL starts again in, in say, March? Yes, we had to give our – I'll speak to our players. I know their situation. We had to give them a full release to play in the USHL, and a full release means they cannot come back to Portland. But as affiliate players at the end of their season, so when the Lincoln Stars season finishes, which they do have a late season in the USHL – and if we're still playing and practicing, they can come back to Portland and play six games as an affiliate player. That's our league rules. It's always been our league rules. But they cannot come back at any time prior to the end of Lincoln Stars' season. That's the case with our players. 
from the outside looking in, it seems like, or the, the optics might be that, well, maybe there we shouldn't be all that confident about a WHL season starting at any time soon because th- those are four key guys for you. And they, and they are, but I think everybody's realized that it's going to be a different year this year. It's going to be a year about, with about development. And so we had to, as we explored options in the fall for our players to play in different provinces in Canada, look out for what's best for the individual. And certainly I have to protect the Portland Winterhawks, but I believe in allowing them to play. And, and right now they've already had played three games. Uh, we will be playing in the Western League, I believe. As I said, I'm optimistic about that, and it's going to give us a chance to develop four more players for our team in the future. Mm. So I believe that's a positive. Will there be playoffs in our league? Nobody's sure. Will there be Memorial Cup? Probably not. But um, we'll see how things proceed over the next little while. If we can get our 24 games in and everything turns positive in May, maybe there there are playoff series that we go through. But it's not it's not that type of, at least my mentality is, it's not that type of year. It's about getting these guys games, giving them opportunities for the future, helping develop them like we always do into the best players they can be. That's that's my agenda for the rest of the year. And probably a good way of also keeping a healthy relationship with those players and their families too. You're right. Every, every parent, as you moved into the Christmas break, was getting anxious about when we were going to start. But they understood because very few leagues in Canada are going right now mm-hmm. in Western Canada. The junior A leagues have all shut down. So they understood that this, these were the circumstances we were being dealt with. But in the States, it was different. The USHL has been playing all the way. And if you're an American-born player, it allowed you to play in that league. Canadians could play, and some did, as you mentioned, but those players came in as imports. And very few teams in the USHL had spots for imports. But our players, uh, they had the chance to go to Lincoln. They could all play together. I thought that was another positive. The other night, they were all on the power play together. So that, that's good for them, and it's good for Portland. Um, and But I do believe we're going to get going again, and we'll give our other guys a chance to play some competitive games in the U.S. division, and we'll see how, how many we get in and also if we have a playoff. Mike, I wonder, is there a level of frustration in seeing other leagues you mentioned the USHL. The NCAA has been playing uh, since uh, mid-December, even the earlier than that. The NHL is back now. The American League is about to start up. A junior A in Canada started, then stopped. Uh, so did the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. I think the OHL and the Dub might be the only two leagues who haven't played at all. Is there some frustration from your perspective? And in, in, you know, why can they do it, but we haven't been able to try it at all? No, because. Most of the GMs in our league are, are on weekly calls and understand the process that our league has gone through through this whole time period. It's been very challenging. And you can look back. Everybody can always look back in sports and say, well, we should have done something in October, November when the numbers were low. But the way the numbers were trending then, we were thinking that we'll get started in early December and we'll have a, a great season and we'll play close to the 68 games that we normally play. But then nobody could have anticipated around Thanksgiving, U.S. Thanksgiving, around U.S. Thanksgiving, everything took a turn for the worst. And through December, we were hitting uh, terrible numbers everywhere. The metrics were, were not moving in the right direction. So you can get frustrated, I guess, but if you understand the process and what our league's gone through and the healthcare protocols 
whether it's for billets or for players returning or practice or playing, I thought our league has done a great job in making sure they really work through every detail. And you have to realize the American Hockey League hasn't started yet. Mm -hmm. The NHL has, but the American League's going to start in a couple of weeks. So there are still a few leagues that didn't. And whether those other leagues have started up and they've had COVID cases and they've had teams that have been sick and athletes that have been sick, we may look back in five years and say that was a bad decision because there's side effects. I, I'm not sure. But I know our league has worked very hard at trying to put together the right steps uh, from a healthcare perspective and also to take care of our players. Well said, Coach. Uh, I think everybody is uh, eager and anxious to have the WHL back but want it to come back at a time when it's safe for everybody. Uh, and uh, moving forward, I hope that happens sooner as opposed to later. I kept you a long time, but I really appreciate you giving the time uh, today. Coach, uh, thanks for doing this. T- take care and stay safe. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Here's Mike Johnston of the uh, Portland Winterhawks. Okay, two things really stood out to me there. First, I love that initiative uh, where he's reaching out to NHL teams. Obviously helps to have some contacts like that, having been in the league himself. But to have his players get to chat with uh, some NHL executives like that, just to keep you know, it helps keep those teams thinking about Portland players, but also keeps the players engaged like that and encouraged that, you know, there is light at the end of this uh, COVID tunnel. I think that's outstanding. Uh, kudos to Mike Johnston and uh, the Winterhawks for coming up with that concept. And I I don't know, maybe, maybe a lot of teams are doing that. It's the first I've heard of it, though. So uh, tip of the cap to uh, everybody in PDX. And the other thing, call me crazy or you tell me if I'm wrong, but knowing that those players off to the USHL, are not eligible to come back until those teams are done for the year. And then, even then, only are allowed to play six games. I don't know if that includes playoffs. Uh, that does not give me a a load of confidence that there will be a WHL season this year. Maybe, maybe I'm just being pessimistic, but if I'm a WHL team and I'm expecting to play, do I lose four guys like that voluntarily? I certainly understand the uh, the the concept of you know what this guy's got to play got to do what's best for the players. I totally support that. Selfishly, I'm thinking those are key key players for my team. A couple of those guys are everyday players. In fact, three of them I think are everyday players. One guy was a rookie last year, so would be an everyday player this year. How about Medicine Hat and Winnipeg giving up two of their stars? Cole Sillinger, first round talent this year for the draft. He's not eligible now to play in Medicine Hat until. Where is he? Sioux Falls? Sioux City? Until they're done? And even then, he'd come back and only be able to play six games? Again, who knows if the WHL even plays or if there is a playoff format at all. And Matthew Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice, gone for the rest of this year as well. Or unavailable for the rest of this season until Dubuque is done playing. And Dubuque's a good team, so you could probably expect him to go two or three rounds into the USHL playoffs. Especially with Savoy. So you tell me if uh, I'm crazy to think that doesn't bode well for the WHL and starting up, or maybe I'm completely misinterpreting it and maybe we should think, all right, the dub's going to come back, but it's it's totally just about player development this year. There's no you know big incentives. Standings don't really matter. Playoffs might not matter at all. Memorial Cup might not even happen. So whatever. This year's kind of scrap. Let the guys go play. If that's the case, then okay. But interested to what... You as, uh, well, certainly you fans in Winnipeg and Medicine Hat 
And I know Spokane has uh, Luke Toporowski is off as well. And uh, you fans in Portland, let me know. Are you okay? How do you feel about what's happened here with uh, some of the players that you cheer for? At TPS underscore Guy is where you can find me on Twitter if you're uh, a patron at patreon.com slash the pipeline show. A couple of bucks a month is all it takes, and uh, you can have early access to all these interviews. I had this chat with Mike, I want to say it was on Wednesday. Um, so that one's been up for uh, patrons since then, since about an hour after I hung up the phone with him. Quick edit uh, of uh, of the audio, and it's ready to go. So if that's something you'd be interested in, uh, two bucks a month, it's actually a little less even if you do it uh, on an annual basis. But check that out if you get a chance. Okay, next up, we're heading to the opposite end of the continent. Mike Sanderson is the play-by-play voice on the radio for the St. John Sea Dogs, and that league has started back up, kind of. Some teams aren't, though. We'll get the latest next here on the Pipeline Show. Now off the bench, because Pelche, he's going to burst to speed. Pelche, he This is Jacob Pelzi of the Moncton Wildcats, and you're listening to Pipeline Show. The Troubled Monk Brew of the Week sure is a tasty one. Bud, what is it? Bucktooth Belgian White, a light and citrusy, flavorful beer. This Belgian White is a perfect patio pint. Try it with a freshly cut orange to brighten up your already sunny day. Player comparable, Patrick Kane knows what season to turn it on and has splashes of brilliance. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. You know, I hear the camera adds 10 pounds. Looks like you've eaten five cameras. It's The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and uh, we just talked a little WHL. We're going to head the opposite direction, go to the east coast of Canada, and uh, get caught up to speed on what's happening in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League as things are about to happen again in the queue. In fact, there's been a flurry of trade activity here in the last couple of weeks, and uh, the uh, league getting set to play this weekend. For the most part, uh, not uh, unfortunately for uh, my next guest, who uh, is the play-by-play guy for the St. John Sea Dogs, and that, of course, is Mike Sanderson. Welcome back to the program, Mike. How are things? Oh, things are uh, hectic as always. Uh, Certainly in this uh, COVID-19 situation as we move into 2021, uh, everything is a little bit uncertain, and uh, that uncertainty is a pushed through to the queue but uh, we we press on as we can all right so bring us up to speed uh, the 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 rest of the league is about to play but kind of flip-flop from what was happening early in the year uh they're going to play in quebec but not in the maritimes right now yeah that's correct uh, the uh, quebec teams now with a little bit of an asterisk because uh the quebec teams have a bubble event this weekend so that's what's starting play again uh, starting on Friday, uh, so they will play this weekend. There's four bubble events. Three teams are in each of Shakutami, Shawinigan, Drummondville, and Ramuski. They'll, uh, the three teams will play each other uh, and uh, get those games out of the way for this weekend. And then starting on January the 30th, 
through to February the 7th in three Quebec cities. There will be four teams each in another bubble uh, where they'll play six games over nine days in those three uh, bubble cities. In the Maritimes, their games this weekend have been postponed, um, so we'll see whether next weekend's games do pick up. In New Brunswick in particular, uh, going back into their red zone, uh, that affects Moncton and St. John and indirectly also affects Bathurst because in travel they'd have to go through those red zones to travel and uh, take on any other team that might be able to play games. Halifax as well as kind of their own little lockdown going on. So in the Maritimes, a little bit more tenuous than in Quebec, of course. In Quebec, the situation not great either, but uh, since they're uh, running these bubble events, which have been scheduled for uh, a couple of weeks out, uh, that's what they're going with uh, to restart play here for the first time in almost two months. Does that set the table? Maybe could uh, you see a, a potential bubble in the Maritimes? I mean, we've always we've kind of talked about the Maritime bubble a lot, but in a hockey sense, maybe everybody gathers in Moncton or something like that. Uh, could you see something like that happen? Uh, there has been talk about that already. Obviously, the preliminary discussions uh, for what to do with the schedule has been a hot topic in the in the league office, of course, and. Uh, Moncton would be a natural fit because it's the least travel for all the other maritime teams to come to Moncton. And Moncton, of course, has uh, a, a big new building that can mm-hmm. host uh, play and uh, host uh, all six maritime division teams if they need to. Uh, there's nothing concrete yet in terms of a maritime bubble. Uh, I know behind the scenes it's definitely been discussed, but there's nothing uh, nothing serious as of yet. All right. Unfortunate that the uh, maritime teams can't get going with everybody else, but maybe it'll allow those teams in Quebec some time to catch up in terms of the games played for this season because they were a lot of them were seriously lagging behind there for a while. Well, that's exactly the plan, right? That's why they're going to have this bubble this weekend and then the second bubble event is to kind of get the games when you can because the toughest part has been, especially in Quebec, uh, to make sure they get those games in. In Quebec, they still have massive disparity uh, for a few teams uh, to play games. Of course, the opening weekend of the season was when Sherbrooke and Benavid Boisbriand played a pair of games. There was... Uh, COVID that spread between those two teams, and they couldn't play for a while. Sher- uh, Sherbrooke is still in a position where they've only played five games this season. Blanfield, Boisbriand, and Quebec have only played eight. You've got some teams that have only played ten. Uh, in the Maritimes, the most teams, uh, the most games that any teams have played is 16. So uh, there is still a massive disparity in terms of the amount of games played between these two teams. And uh, the league has already acknowledged that it's very, very unlikely that every team will have played the same amount of games by the end of the regular schedule. So uh, they've put that to bed, but uh, certainly, you know, they want teams to play as many games as possible to make sure that the competitiveness uh, heading into whatever the playoff uh, schedule looks like or when it starts uh, can have some kind of parity. I'm glad you mentioned the playoffs because I was going to ask if there's been any sort of outline of what they intend to do. I imagine they'd like to have as much of or close to a normal playoff as possible, but COVID's going to decide all that, right? Yes. Well, Guy, buckle up because the plan is out, and it is, uh, it's really interesting, <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Uh, it's, uh, it, the, the plans have been outlined over the last month or so. What the league wants to do, and as we mentioned, because uh, all teams, they've come, they've come to terms with the idea that all teams won't be able to play the same amount of games, uh, the rankings for playoffs will be determined by points uh, which I think is obviously the only way you can really do it if all teams can't play the same amount of games. So the playoffs have been tweaked. All 18 teams are scheduled to make the playoffs with the way that it's set up. They're going to stay in division. So uh, remember, uh, as we've outlined through this year, the Q, instead of having four divisions, they now have three divisions of six, hearkening back to an older 
uh, format of the way the league was structured. They're going to keep those playoffs in those divisions, at least for the opening round. So uh, the top two teams of each division will get a buy into the second round. The bottom four will duke it out. The two winners of those bottom four will play the top two teams in the division. At least that's the way it's going to work in the Maritimes. In Quebec, it's the same thing, but it's crossovered. So the top team in the Eastern Division will play the, the, the bottom you know, team that comes through in the West and vice versa. Uh, they'll whittle themselves down into a third round, and then that will get them down to three teams. Now, of course, you're saying, okay, well, three, how does that work? Once you get to that final three, those three teams will play in a two-game round robin. Whichever two teams have the best record will play a best-of-five or a best-of-seven final for the President's Cup. The league has not determined how long those series will be, whether they're best of three, best of five, best of seven, I think would be optimal. But uh, depending on what the schedule looks like, what kind of time crunch they're looking at, uh, they'll unveil that around April. But that's what the playoff structure is looking like, at least what the league's announced so far. Wow. Well, at least they have a plan. Holy cow. Did that, it almost sounds very complicated, <laughs> but you're able to rattle it off. Well, obviously, you're, you're well-versed in, in what the, uh, the structure is going to be. Tell me about the the trade deadline this year, and you know, quite often we see very uh, interesting trades in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. How is this year different than in a regular season? Well, I think understandably most teams are are pretty timid, at least opening into this trading period, which uh, in a normal year would have already come and gone, but. Uh, with, uh, you know, the league being off and with there being an extended break, the queue decided to extend uh, their trading period. So now it ends on Monday as opposed to where it would have ended, which I believe would have been the 5th or 6th of January. Right. Uh, there's still a lot of names, a lot of names out there. Uh, there have been a few players to uh, change addresses. Uh, Nathan Legare and uh, Jordan Spence from Team Canada have swapped their teams and they've gone to Val d'Or, which is not really a surprise. That's Maybe the one team that really has gone all in on, on a, a win-now mode in this season. Um, Charlottetown's picked up a couple of good players in getting uh, Patrick Gay and Bailey Peach. Uh, but a lot of teams really are, are in a holding pattern. They're in a position where, because they're not sure what the second half's going to look like, if there's a playoff, what that playoff's going to end up ultimately being, you've got a lot of teams that either have you know, swap players in and out to make themselves maybe a little bit better. You've had a lot of small buys around the league, uh, but you haven't had the usual contenders go out and, you know, really add to their depth or, you know, pick up a star player or two. You really haven't seen that. So because of that, there are still a number of good players that are available out there, in particular a few defensemen that really could serve uh, some teams. Jarrett Baker and Cape Breton could be an option. Félix-Antoine de Rollet in Dr- Drummondville, Sam Regis, or Xavier Bouchard in Ruin Aranda, Tristan DeYoung still available out of Moncton, a couple of good defensemen in Sherbrooke, Greg Kreutzer, Xavier Belnard. They're, they're not particularly flashy defenders, but they're all dependable and would add to uh, a team's depth. Uh, Zach Imaw, the goaltender from Ruin Aranda, did move to St. John on Thursday. Uh, so that's one goalie off the market, though Sam Favai from uh, Sherbrooke is still available. Um, the biggest forward, uh, Sam Poulin, has now announced that, or the Penguins announced that he's coming back to the queue. So I think he becomes by default the biggest forward on the market. But Zevi Simino is probably the biggest forward from Drummondville who's garnered the most attention. He hasn't moved yet either, but uh, it's believed that the price for him before Sam Poulet came back really was setting the market. The biggest glut in terms of keeping the market moving, if there was a lot of dominoes to fall, was the Patrick Gay trade because 
Uh, Sherbrooke got a lot for Patrick Gay. They got a good young center in Justin Gill, and they got two first-round picks, which really boosted up the value uh, that someone like Xavier Simonot or Sam Poulin or even someone like Philippe Daou in Moncton could have garnered or can garner on the open market. So that's kind of where the dominoes have stopped in terms of the trading period, but there's still some pretty good pieces out there between now and Monday. Your club, uh, the one you're closest to, St. John, uh, made a, a couple of deals. You mentioned the goaltender coming over, uh, but uh, also picked up Ryan Francis. What does that do for the team? Uh, you know, it's it's changing some of the personnel up front. Getting Ryan Francis, one thing that the Sea Dogs have is a lot of talent up front, uh, but one thing that they are missing is more of a, a game-breaking forward, and Ryan Francis has that ability with the puck on his stick uh, to play really in that game-breaking role. He uses his teammates really well. He's a very effective offensive player, and he adds to that huge amount of talent on uh, the forward lines for the St. John Sea Dogs. They do give up Dawson Stairs in the deal, uh, which, you know, stares a, a promising offensive forward in his own right. But that is an improvement to get Ryan Francis. And, you know, to get a veteran who's been on a strong team before, of course, no playoffs last year, but Kate Breton was a team that was poised to do some damage and was on a very strong team last year in Cape Breton. So he brings some of that veteran presence as well. And it's a bit of a different voice in the dressing room too, which the Sea Dogs uh, up to this point definitely could use some different voices in their dressing room, and Ryan Francis is one of those, and Zach Amon today is another. Mike, you, you mentioned uh, Samuel Levi, uh, the goaltender, that's uh, potentially still on the move uh, or could be on the move. Uh, what's the status for imports like that? Did, did he find his way back to the queue? Well, I think the benefits, because Samuel Levi, of course, played in the World Juniors uh, mm-hmm. in Edmonton and Red Deer. So uh, a lot of those players who were playing World Juniors, uh, another couple to note, Vlad Kotkov, who's a uh, St. John property was with Shikurumi last year. Uh, it's, he's made his way, it's believed, to St. John. A lot of those players that were coming here to quarantine to come to Canada uh, really has opened those floodgates for those players who were playing in that tournament uh, to make their way here you know, appropriately. Another name that has made his way here and has practiced with the Acubathers Titan is Jan Bednosh, uh, the goaltender who went first overall in the uh, import draft last year. So he's here now. Uh, you know, so a few of those players have made their way there. Of course, Sam Slovai playing for Team Slovakia. Uh, now he can stay here and play his second half of the year. So a few of those imports, yes, have made their way here. Um, but uh, if they weren't playing in that tournament, obviously it's uh, harder and harder for them uh, to, to come here and have an impact in the queue this year. Do the Sea Dogs still uh, hold the rights to uh, Max Chajkovic? Uh No, Chajkovic is in Valdor. Okay. Uh, and I'm unsure whether he will make it there for the second half or not. I'm not sure because I know he had an injury a little bit earlier this season. So uh, his status with Team Czech Republic was up in the air. And then beyond that, uh, not sure if he's going to report or not. I know Valdor, with him or not, uh, is very, very deep up front. I, I missed that trade. I didn't uh, hear when that move had uh, had happened. Uh, that, that one was at the draft. Oh, at the draft. Yeah, that trade okay. happened at the draft. When they picked up uh, Peltier, they picked up uh, Chajkovic as well. Oh, wow. Busy uh, busy draft there for Valdor. All right. Uh, what, what's next for you moving forward? Uh, like what's in the very near, the immediate future? I guess the wrap up the trade deadline and then hopefully the Sea Dogs uh, back on the ice uh, next weekend? Well, it's exactly that. Now, the big name as well and the big story that's come out of the queue over the last week or two is the fact that Joshua Roy, uh, who is a very big Sea uh, Dog player, top line player, has. Uh, his camp has requested trade. Mm. Uh, that's a that's been reported widely in Quebec newspapers and here in the Maritimes as well. That uh, him and his camp have asked for a trade. Uh, the <clears throat> latest on that front is the uh, the Sea Dogs, of course, understandably the first overall pick from 
uh, two years ago, you're going to be holding out for quite a king's ransom for him, and that's what the uh, Sea Dogs are doing so far. So they're trying to build up a bidding war for his services, understandably, and uh, from what I've heard, at least three teams have put forward a serious offer. Uh, Thursday in the uh, Journal de Quebec, in an article by Kevin Dubé, we kind of have uh, not so much a further idea as to why he's asked for a trade, but we do know that it is uh, off-ice related. Uh, one thing about the Sea Dogs is that for much of this core, and Joshua Dewan included, is Greg Gilbert is their third coach in a year. So for a lot of these kids, it's been a lot of different voices. It's been, you know, a lot of different situations in the locker room, a lot of different situations as to what the big voice is. And yes, Jeff Cowan is still there. He was the interim coach last year. But, you know, being the the main voice and then going back into being an auxiliary voice obviously can can make a difference. And bringing Greg Gilbert in, an established uh, coach and an established professional obviously changes things as well. So for, for Joshua Dewa, apparently this is an off-ice reason as to why he's asked for a trade. Uh, the, no other details have really come come forward to that, and that makes sense because Joshua Dewa has had ample amount of ice time. He's been a top-line forward for the Sea Dogs this year, lots of power play time. The, the tough thing for him is in his draft year, asking for a trade now uh, is is not a good look. And I don't want to disparage the reason for him wanting a trade because we, do, we don't know. All we can do is speculate. But, you know, this is the kind of thing that scouts, you know, mark on their draft boards. As if, you've asked, if you've asked for a trade from a team that gives you a really good opportunity, it's not a great look, uh, at least on the outside. So, you know, for, for him, I, I'm wondering specifically why they would ask for a trade at this point. There is no other team in the queue for him that can give him the opportunity to play top-line minutes with as talented players as he has. If he gets traded to a contender, he might end up being down in the lineup. He can't showcase his skills as much. And if he gets traded to a team that's in more of a rebuilding mode, uh, you know, for him, that's going to put him in a position where maybe he doesn't have as much success because he doesn't have as much talent around him. So, you know, the, the off-ice reasons for this, uh, in, again, we're not going to doubt what they are put into question what they are, uh, certainly put, put uh, this whole thing and wrap it together. And St. John, it's not, uh, it, you know, it's, it's not a wrong statement to say that it's been a bit of a disappointing year. I think that for the Maritimes, St. John was expected to fill the power vacuum that's been in that division, and largely Charlottetown has filled that spot, and St. John's been basically the same team that they were last year and for a team with so many young players that were expected to grow um, that that growth really hasn't happened yet of course again a new coach and you know it a situation where Greg Gilbert in 15 games is that enough to really establish your own program you know when you're trying to uh, establish your own style of play which is not dramatically different I mean you're still playing hockey the objective is still to score goals and win the game but you know, obviously you want to put your own stamp on the team and, you know, for him and, and this team, you know, there's, there's lots that he's seen that he wants to change. And in 15 games, obviously that's not, uh, that's not a lot of time to be able to establish that. So in Joshua's situation, his camp has asked for a trade. There are teams that are basically lining up for his services. Uh, they have from now till Monday to see if that's going to happen this season. Uh, but uh, for the Sea Dogs to have a change, and this is not, you know, Joshua was situation where he's a problem. He's not a problem by all, by all accounts. Everyone on the team is, is uh, very happy with him. Everyone on the team likes him. His teammates like him, everything. Uh, so, you know, by that account, this is not a situation of trading. Joshua makes the team better, but it could 
wake up quite a few things in that dressing room, which could be a benefit down the road. Not to say that trading Josh Wood was a good thing, because anytime you trade a player with that kind of talent, it's very rare you win the deal. But certainly for the Sea Dogs, uh, you know, coming into the second half of the season, uh, for them, you know, this could be a watershed moment where things could change quite a bit, especially if they have to pull the trigger on one of their better forwards. That's a tough situation, and without really knowing why he's asked for the trade, you say it's off ice. Could it be completely not hockey related at all? Could it just be it's a Quebec kid wants to go closer to home right now because of uh, the the global pandemic? Well, it's very possible. But the thing is, is that if it is something like that, I feel like you would get more sympathy if you were that upfront about it. You yeah. know what I mean? If yeah. it was that specific reason, going up front for it, I don't think anyone would, would blame him for that reason. I mean, Matthias Laferriere was traded for the same reason from Cape Breton to, to blainville boisbriand earlier this year. And, uh, you know, everyone thought, well, you know, sure, you know, no problem with that, completely understandable. So I don't think specifically it's something like that. I think it is something that's deeper than that. Uh, whether it's you know, and again, this is pure speculation and not at all putting, you know, words in anybody's mouth. But if it's a Mike Babcock-like situation, I feel like there would be more that would still come out. Um, but uh, the agent has said when it comes out, it will all make sense. But that's the only comment we've really had from his camp. So hmm. it's really tough to say. And, you know, as we've said previous, you know, for a draft prospect, he's ranked as a B prospect who went first overall a couple of years ago. You know, being a B prospect in that position might be a little bit of a disappointment, but, you know, in, in, in his situation, asking for a trade at this point without knowing the full details does not look good on a scouting report. It does not look good in a scout's room heading into a draft. So you have to wonder, you know, the reason for it. And obviously it must be a pretty good reason for them to push forward this far with it. Well, we'll see where it goes from here. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see uh, everybody back on the ice here sooner as opposed to later. Mike, I really appreciate you making time for the Pipeline Show once again. Uh, I'm going to be listening in when you guys uh, get back onto the ice. Uh, take care and stay safe. Very much looking forward to it. And thanks, Keith. Thanks for your support. Mike Sanderson, uh, voice of the St. John Sea Dogs, and can uh, bring you up to speed on what's happened as the league back underway got started uh, again, restarted on Friday. Valdor, 3-1 winners against uh, Drummondville. Uh, the BB Armada were at home and took on Ramuski, 5-2 the final in favor of the Armada. Shawinigan wins on the road, 5-1 against Rouen Naranda. And uh, the Shakutami Saganin defeat Sherbrooke. 3-2, to two. that one went to a shootout, and uh, here on Saturday, now that I'm, as the show has gone later and later in the day, and I'm uh, still putting it to the final touches together, I can actually give you the final scores for Saturday. Gatineau 5-2 winners at home over Valdor, that's a big win for the Olympique. The Remparts win 6-4 at home against the Armada. Victoriaville 2-0 against the uh, Huskies from Ruin Naranda and uh, Sherbrooke with a win on Saturday, 2-0, they blank. The Baycomo Dracar. One more segment to go on this week's episode, and it's a good one. Jerry Johansson from the Sports Corporation, big-time player agent, uh, player rep. He is going to join me. We're going to chat about what the last uh, 10 months has been like for him and what he does and uh, how he keeps his players engaged. And uh, we talk about some of the players that he has in his stable for the 2021 draft and just where things are at right now. All of that to close out this week's episode. Coming up next here on the Pipeline Show. Johnson stripped by Delandrio. Backhander. He scores! Short-handed goal for the rookie, Ty Delandria. It's 1-0 Flint. Hey, it's Ty Delandria from the Flint Firebirds. 
and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Spruce Grove St. AJHL Hockey is back for the 2020-2021 season. Due to the ongoing pandemic, the attendance is limited at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. You can follow along across social media at SG Saints and support the Saints by heading to sprucegrovesaints.ca and purchasing your Cash's King tickets today. Over $33,000 in prizes to be given away. Again, head to sprucegrovesaints.ca for more information. The Spruce Grove Saints, proud supporters of the Pipeline Show. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. It's the cheapest drug there is. It's The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We'll wrap up this week's episode in a fine fashion. Uh, we're going to be joined by uh, one of the premier scouts, or scouts, one of the premier agents in uh, in all of uh, hockey, whether it's uh, professionally or with the junior players and draft-eligible guys, Jerry Johansson from the Sports Corporation. Welcome back to the program, Jerry. How are things for you? Good, Guy. Really good. We're all scouts at heart, my friend. Yeah. Everybody in hockey at the end of the day is some kind of scout, so I take that as a compliment. All right. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, what's, what is the, the last, uh, well, it's been about 10 months since junior hockey has been uh, shut down. I know it's kind of come back in some form for the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, and the USHL has been trying to, to play their way through it, but no WHL, no, a, no OHL. The NHL, we, we obviously saw them finish off their 2019-20 season and have started now uh, back up again. But overall, what's the uh, what's it been like for you during the, the whole pandemic? Well, it's been very strange, like for everybody. It's been it's certainly, uh, you know, we've been on the same schedule forever. You know, some of these kids have been, even our pro guys have been, you know, on the same schedule more or less since they were nine years old. So it's a big change. And, uh, you know, obviously the pro guys has been a little bit easier because they, they, you know, they went to the bubble, had playoffs, and now they're starting the season, obviously. Mm-hmm. But our young guys really hard on them. Yeah, it's been like our Western League guys, <clears throat> really tough. Just no hockey. And, you know, and some of our, even our minor league guys, the minor hockey guys, you know, they've played a little bit, but it's been a really hard season. Well, and I guess one nice thing for some of you talk about the Western Hockey League, the the guys who have been drafted and signed, they get to uh, play in the American League this year. A little bit different, and I don't, I as far as I know, that's not a permanent uh, thing. And if the WHL comes back, those players have to go back to their WHL teams. But in the meantime, nice for those guys to actually have the opportunity to play. Yeah, no, hundred percent. So, um, you know, we have uh, our our sign guys are up with the club. They have to be returned if the Western League begins. Right. But it's really nice for them. Like Seth Jarvis is, has been in Carolina, is now in Chicago. You know, Tristan Robbins is down uh, with uh, in Arizona with San Jose and Connor's Aries in Calgary. So it's been great for those guys to be around their pro team. Usually it's just a few days for camp, like a week or two. Mm-hmm. Now, it, you know, it's more going to be more like a month or two. So it's been a, a blessing for those guys to have that opportunity. You know, I've been talking to other guests on the show lately, and I keep going back to the, the guys I feel the worst for. Well, there's two categories, but certainly the overage guys, the guys who are entering their final year of eligibility who are maybe trying to earn a pro contract, an opportunity to play, you know, in the American League or over in Europe, or guys who are trying to set themselves up for uh, a youth sports scholarship. Uh, what's your role for, for players like that right now to try to give them some exposure and, and create that opportunity? I don't, I don't know how many of those players, those types of players that you have on your uh, in your stable, but what would be your role for a guy like that? 
Yeah. So yeah, we, we, we're pretty much involved in every part of it. So that is one. And I, to expand on that, uh, Tugi, it would be the 19 year olds that are going to be 20 year olds next year. So, you know, that both the 19 and 20 year olds this year are in a really tough spot. So, yeah. but we've been talking to them. Uh, we've been reaching out to schools with our list of guys. Um, the schools are pretty active. I mean, one thing about the, uh, Canadian, uh, universities is that they're, they're pretty tied in, uh, with the scouting network. So they talk to junior teams and coaches and scouts. And so they have the book on these guys. So it's not like, you know, even though a 20 year old or even a 19 year old that maybe didn't play this year, they would still have a pretty good scouting report on what kind of a kid he is and what kind of player. So I think they're going to be okay, but they are in a tough spot. There's no question about that. Well, and the other group of players would be the draft eligible guys that, you know, this is a, obviously a, a big year for them. Uh, and everything is uh, in turmoil once again. And you go back to last year and how difficult that was. At least we finally did get the draft, although it was a weird sort of setup uh, with it being in October and all uh, by Zoom or or whatever, I guess. But how challenging was that for you as you know, in your role as an agent? Well, we drank a lot less beer because we weren't at the draft, which we <laughs> that's pretty much what we do. Don't tell anybody. But that's generally what we do. No, I'm kidding. But uh you know, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. I mean, again, we had, you know, it was a shortened season, but you know, again, most of the scouts know players at 16 or at seven, you know, and they saw most of the year. So it, it came off pretty good. And this year I'm, I'm not as worried for our draft picks because at the end of the day, they're, they're young guys. They're going to get it. We are going to be back playing and they will be evaluated at some point. I'm not overly confident that they're going to have a draft in July. I know they announced that, but I, I don't think pro teams are going to be, comfortable having a draft until they've had a chance to really evaluate guys you know so and at the end of the day i you know what when you're if you're young you're going to be fine and uh as, but again i think the bigger problem is the draft year is such a big deal rightly so for kids and their families so to have a draft year which is you know arguably one of the highlights of your whole career and then not have a season that's a bit stressful so you're taking a stressful situation in hockey and you're cranking it up by 10 so that's been tough but like i tell all our guys you know you're going to be fine um you know we will be playing soon enough and trust me good players play so that's all you got to do just keep being a good player i i i have to go back to what you're saying you're doubtful that there'll be the draft in july so what do you think will happen well, first of all, I have no idea, but I just think they, you know, they will, I'm sure they're going to drill down on that as we get closer. Mm -hmm. But again, it's going to be difficult to have a draft when a large majority of the kids haven't even played. Now they might, they might try to do that, but you know, I also think they could push it back. And I mean, there's lots of different ways you could do it. Um, but we'll see, you know, um, and like I said, it's, uh, and it's, our top players are going to be fine. Like we talked about Sebastian Kosa or, Logan Stankoven, I mean, they have a pretty good book, but every year there's kids that, you know, have a big year that were maybe on the radar screen, maybe not, but then come out of the gates and have a really solid year. Um, you know, those kids are going to have to wait a bit if, 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 if they do have the draft in July. Jerry Johansson from the Sports Corporation, my guest. is. Uh, let's talk about some of those players. And you mentioned uh, Logan Stankoven, Sebastian Kosa, both out of the WHL. I, I expect both would be first-round picks. I know with goaltenders, it's a little different, although we've seen one uh, taken in the first round the last couple of years. And you've got a couple really high-profile goalies this year, not just Sebastian Kosa, but Jesper Wallstead out of Sweden as well, uh, also under the Sports Corporation banner. So you've got what I think would be the two best goaltenders for this draft. Uh, I know when I talk to scouts, they have a hard time sometimes with goaltenders. 
Uh, what about for an agent? How, how do you hook up with these players? Uh, at what age do they come your way, or do you seek them out, or do the players come to you? Uh, generally, we we find the players. We we've got a pretty uh, uh, you know good network of of uh, scouts, and we're in the rink a lot, so we generally know who the best players are. So we've been fortunate with both Sebastian and Logan to be working with him for quite some time. And, uh, and like I said, I, you know, both excellent players, like in, in just top quality young men. So they're going to be a great pick for somebody, both those guys, you know, in Sweden, it's a little different. They have a rule over there where you're not allowed to speak. Like, for example, this year, you can't speak to an 05 birth date until, until uh, January 1st. Okay. And it's just, it's a crazy rule. But then on January 1, these poor families' phones ring off the hook with every agent. So it's a little different. So, yeah, but we have a couple of really top suites for this year too. But certainly Logan and uh, and Sebastian are are going to do fine, regardless of how all this plays out. Yeah, those two Swedes are Jesper Wallstead and Fabian Lysel. And some of the other WHLers on your list, I know uh, Zach Ostapchuk in uh, Vancouver with the Giants and Connor Roulette uh, with Seattle and Trevor Wong in Kelowna and Erica Larry with uh, the Moose Jaw Warriors. So, You've got quite the uh, the crop again for the 2021 draft, whenever it happens. Uh, let me ask you about Logan Stankoven this year, because I know recently there had been some discussion uh, publicized about uh, maybe exploring a USHL opportunity, and I, and I know there's been a number of players in the WHL who have done that now. Four guys just uh, from the Portland Winterhawks have moved uh, to the USHL, and a couple other guys in Cole Sillinger and, and Matthew Savoy. Uh, but Logan, it sounded like he was uh, thinking about it and then decided not to. Uh, what was your role in all of that? Well, we we, we presented uh, all kinds of different opportunities for some of our players that were that had the option. So, like I said, we we talked to Logan and to Sebastian both about maybe going over to Europe or maybe going down to the USHL. Um, but I think we decided as a group just to hang tight. I don't think Logan, I know it was in the media. I never actually even read that story, but, uh, you know, I mean, he, certainly he had an opportunity to go down to the USHL, but I think decided to, you know, to hang tight in Kamloops and wait for the season to start. Um, and then most of those other kids, if not all of them, I think have are either American born players or in Sillinger's case, I think he has an American passport. I think he's actually born in the States. Yeah. So uh, um, otherwise it's really difficult to, uh, to send, your guys down there you know unless we went down early and then came back but it, it it's not as easy as you think but our job is to you know create options for guys and uh in Matt's voice case he's an underage so he was able to go so it's a little bit of a different situation for him too but uh but with Logan I mean he had I mean he's a good player he, he had you know, lots of teams would want him but I think at the end of the day he's a Kamloops blazer right through and through and uh you know, just was is waiting patiently for all of us just to hopefully get the season up and running here. And interesting, you mentioned the, the European option as well. Did you have any players that uh, opted to go that direction? No, we had some opportunities, but same thing, right? We're, you know, it's a it's a long way to go. Uh, you know, the junior league in Sweden, for example, got shut down basically for the season. Yeah. Um, and you know, so you're, you're, ch- you're really changing one, you know, measure of risk over here for another measure of risk over there. So as much as, you know, it's not like with a pandemic, there's a great place to go play. The USHL has done a good job of playing. I give them credit. But if you look around, everything has kind of got a big question mark on it. So, you know, there wasn't exactly a great spot to go. Um, you're really just assuming, you know, just a different amount of risk or a different risk by going over there. So we had opportunities, but just decided that 
the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. So we're going to sit tight and just keep our fingers crossed that we get playing. Meanwhile, what do the guys do uh, to, to stay sharp and to stay in shape and to try to further de- their development, even though the WHL isn't playing yet? Well, it'd be a bad time to challenge one of our guys to a video game contest because I guarantee <laughs> you they're pretty good at that right now. So, uh, but they've been training. I mean, it's, you know, everybody's pretty resilient. Like they're skating on outdoor rinks and ponds. And I mean, they've been training for a big part of the time. I know lately here in different provinces have been shut down, but like our Manitoba guys probably got more skating in early, uh, you know, BC. It's been a little hit or miss. Alberta was good for a while. So it's just, I think everybody's just trying to do what they can. Um, but again, you know, the other issue here, Guy, is the, the problem is so much bigger than just hockey. So, I mean, you're in this boat with a lot of other people. So it's, you know, what are you going to do, right? So I think the guys are just being creative, trying to, you know, keep their spirits up. And But, it, but it's stressful. But like I said, my 15-year-old daughter dances. It's stressful for dancers and gymnasts and everybody, every young person that has something going on in their life. It's more or less been shut down. So it's been tough. Tough for everybody, that's for sure. Trevor Wong with the Kelowna Rockets, an interesting case. I know in his uh, Bantam draft year, man, he was piling up the points. It was St. George or something like that that he was he was playing at. I forget what the, the program was called. But I know at that time he had, I think he had committed, was it to Denver? You would, you would know off the top of your head, I'm sure. But ended up going to Kelowna. What was that process like where he was weighing his options? Yeah, that was interesting. I mean, yeah, Trevor did have an early commitment to, to Denver. Um, but but really, with all our players, it's the same process. We spend time. Obviously, the Bantam draft comes early, so you know we're, we're we're sort of explaining the NCAA route to you know all of our players. It's it's an obligation we have, you know, just so they're aware of it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the majority of our players, uh, you know, decide to play in the Western Hockey League, which is great. Um, and the other thing is, the Western Hockey League offers an opportunity a little sooner than college hockey. Um, you know, so in Trevor's case, you know, he made a commitment, which is actually kind of smart. He had a school in mind. And then, you know, as we waited for, you know, things to unfold with the Bantam draft and as, you know, he got to know Kelowna and, you know, got to see their operation and all that stuff, he, he made the decision in his family to, to go to Kelowna, which we support hundred percent too. So like with all our guys, I mean this in the best way, we don't really care where they play. We just want them to make the right decision with the right information. And so most of our guys end up in the Western Hockey because it's such a good option. And Trevor, you know, other than making an early commitment to Denver, you know, when he had a chance to get to know Kelowna or Kelowna and see their operation and talk to everybody, you know, he made that decision to go there. So we were supportive 100%. Well, quite the track record the Rockets have in in putting guys uh, into pro hockey and a lot of them into the NHL. So hard to argue with that, Denver's a good school, though, as well. Do you have uh, a lot of players, uh, or do you have some players who do pick the college road? I don't have a list in front of me, but you, I'm assuming you have had guys who have uh, gone to the NCAA. Oh, yeah, over the years. You know, being in Western Canada, you know, it is hard to say no to the Western Hockey League, but, uh, yeah. you know, Carson Soucy uh, in Minnesota had a great career in Duluth. Yep. Um, we work with the Savoy Boys, so obviously Carter is having a great start in Denver. Um, you know, and we have a number of guys. So yeah, it's, it's a, it, but again, it's, it's just different for every player. And I think in our business, what you're trying to do is treat every individual player, you know, as a unique, you know, person and, and they have different, you know, concerns and different, you know, uh, goals, although they all want to play in the national hockey league. So for some guys, college just is the right direction to go. And, uh, 
for a lot, it's not. So, yeah, it's, the NCAA is a legitimate option. But, but again, like you say, you talk about Kelowna or Edmonton or wherever, it's hard to, it's hard to beat some of the programs these teams have. Uh, what's next uh, for you, Jerry? I, I know the NHL has started and, and uh, that's off and running, but uh, in terms of uh, you know your junior guys or, or whatever else is on your agenda, uh, what do you do from, from now for the next few months? Well, first of all, no traveling. So that's one thing that's really weird. So usually I'm on the road up to 200 days a year, I think. So, um, but at least now I get to watch, like try to watch 10 hockey games at night. So it, that's been keeping me busy wow. in the NHL. And, uh, with our young guys, yeah, just trying to keep them patient, you know, trying to keep in touch with them. We, unfortunately for a change, we don't really have any answers for them. Usually we're the answer guys. Right. But in this case, it's way above my pay grade, what's going on in the world. So, you know, we're just trying to keep our guys patient and, and, and just help them understand that as difficult as this is, eventually we'll be playing hockey and everything will get back to normal at some point. And uh, not to worry about too much, you know, nothing earth shattering is going to happen with any of these guys. There's going to be plenty of time to, to get back on track and uh, yeah, just stay patient. So yeah, like everybody else, we've been working, but more or less just hunkering down. I, I should ask you before I let you go, we were talking about guys deciding between uh, junior or college. What about the European guys? Because uh, I know Jesper Wallstad's drafted by, uh, I think it was Moose Jaw, I believe. And I, I know I talked to you last year at one point and you were meeting with him about Moose Jaw or with the Moose Jaw Warriors and him. What's that process like where you're talking to a European and you might encourage a guy to come over, but right now he's playing professionally with men and that you know is a, a different aspect to, to consider as well and how beneficial that is. What's that like when you're you're talking to some of your European talent about the CHL option? Yeah, well, really, it's the same thing. Where you know our job is to is to show players what their potential avenues are and, and inform them as to the pros and the cons, and really allow them to make their own decision. And like I said, with anybody, if you make an informed decision, you own it. The biggest mistake you can make is have a player make a decision that he didn't really know what he was getting himself into. That includes a contract. That includes everything. So. You know, our job is to create opportunities for these guys when we can. And uh, it's no different for our Europeans. So I talk a lot to our Europeans about, you know, coming over to play, you know, coming over in the CHL import draft to play in, uh, say, the Western Hockey League. Or we have, you know, players and we have a really top Finnish player that went to Dubuque and uh, is now in Denver. So, you know, they can go the USHL and, and that route. And, uh you know, depending on our, our Czechs and Slovaks are a little more likely to come over. There are Swedes and Finns that come over, but their programs are pretty solid over there. So it's a little bit, uh, there's not as many. But same thing, we're, we're there to, to sort of let them know the options and let them know that we can help them with that. And then really leave it up to the family uh, to decide what it is they want to do. All right, excellent. And, and I'm assuming the, the Finn, oh, is that the anti Tuomista or uh, Jako Heikkinen? It is. Perfect. Tuomista, yes. So Detroit draft, he's having a good year. And I think I, I, I'm, I, I've been saying this, but I think it's true. I don't think any person in the world's placed more Europeans in the CHL import draft than me. Because uh-huh. when I started way back when, it was we had all these Czech and Slovaks. So we, I, we put more players over here than anybody. So it's, 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 it's a really good option for our Europeans for the right player. Um, you know, so that's, that's, again, no different than our Canadian guys. We're there to show them the path forward and the fork in the road and then let them decide. Excellent. Well, hopefully we uh, see some WHL and OHL action. Both those leagues haven't started up at all yet. And uh, hopefully we get uh, back to somewhat normalcy uh, sooner as opposed to later. Jerry, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it, Guy. Have a good day.
There's Jerry Johansson from the Sports Corporation. Uh, he's got to be one of the top uh, agents out there at this point, and another great crop of players for the 2021 draft. And uh, I like the way he explains everything that's been going on for him and for his uh, staff and for the rest of the agents in the uh, in the organization. Uh, what, how they've been handling the last 10 months and uh, the start of play in some of the leagues this year. Also, his thoughts on uh, guys going to the USHL and things like that. Well, with that, that wraps up this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Thanks to the three guests that you heard from. Next week, I uh, hope to have a player from that uh, that team that uh, the last two weeks, including this one, I thought I had interviews lined up and uh, they fell through. So hopefully that comes to fruition next week. I also, I believe I will also have a conversation with uh, a scout from HockeyProspect.com and some other irons in the fire as we speak right now. A reminder to those of you who have the opportunity to uh, put a leave a comment or a rating or something like that wherever you get your copy of the of the Pipeline Show from, that would be great. Help uh, boost the uh, the profile of the show, get all those algorithms and things like that working in my favor. That would be appreciated, and I encourage everybody to um, consider becoming a patron at Patreon.com/slash The Pipeline Show. Two bucks a month or less than that if you sign up to do it annually goes uh, right to you, automatically to your credit card each month or each year. Uh, I don't see your credit card numbers or anything like that. It's all handled securely by Patreon and PayPal. Uh, and you can get things like early access uh, to all these interviews. I, I usually do them Tuesday, sometimes Monday, Wednesday, but the show doesn't come out until normally a Friday or here late Saturday. And so all of the patrons get to have you know three or four days access to it before the general public. So if that's something you'd like, uh, that's something you can sign up for. Also going to add uh, the ability, I'm, as soon as I have a guest lined up, I'm going to make mention of it on the Patreon page. If you have questions for that guest, fire them off to me there. And I'll do what I can to uh, direct those questions to the guest when I do the interview. So just another perk to add to the mix. All right, until next week, everybody, uh, stay safe. Keep wearing your masks and do the social distancing and uh, take care of your neighbors and take care of yourself. And I look forward to chatting with you next week here on the Pipeline Show. Till then, see ya.